Well, good morning. I'm going to try and do something that I haven't done for a while, so bear with me. I'm going to get on the floor. And if you guys would like to come and join me on the floor here, just in a big circle, because I want to share with you some stuff. We do kids' church right after this. Yes, sir. Well, how many of you guys like to collect things? What do you collect? I like to collect rare coins. Rare coins. Oh, cool. Do you have any really valuable rare, rare coins? So far, I've got a couple, yep. Oh, cool. What do you like to collect, Shane? Uh, rocks. Rocks? Special rocks. I know somebody that collects rocks that are shaped like hearts. They look and see hearts, and then when they find them, they collect them and take them home. What do you collect? I collect rocks. You do? That aren't special. You just like rocks. Yeah, I just like rocks. I'm sorry. I like to pretend that they're potatoes. Marie, what do you collect? You want to think about it? Leaves. Leaves. Oh, that's cool. I like to collect leaves. Cool. And you had your hand up? What do you like to collect? I like to collect army guys and stuff at the like dump and stuff. And oh, wow. Also, yesterday I collect something that can match my army clothes, like a type of bag thing. Oh, wow. Like a backpack thingy that you can wear? Actually, that's pretty cool. I have some things that I like to collect. Oh, yeah. Audrey. So you have a bunch of stickers and you don't want to use them because then once you use them, then they're gone. I know that, see, some people like to collect things. Like I was reading about somebody that likes to collect special like toys and dolls, but they do it because they want to have toys or dolls that are valuable. And you know how you keep toys or dolls valuable? You never touch them. You never use them. You don't even take them out of their box. You just buy them and put them in a closet and never touch them. And then maybe 50 or 100 years from now, they'll be worth a lot of money. But what's the point of having toys if you don't touch them and you can't play with them? Yeah. See, sometimes we, we, we collect things. We have treasures that we're not, we, we don't really, we don't really, it's kind of crazy because we allow them to be important to us, but then we don't get any enjoyment out of them because we they're too special. We can't touch them. I had a mom, I mean, a friend of my mom when I was a little boy, she had this china cabinet in her dining room. And in her china cabinet, she had all of these beautiful, beautiful china plates and cups and saucers and bowls. And she never, ever, ever took them out of the china cabinet because she wanted them to keep stay perfect. And when her kids were grown and would be old enough to understand how to properly eat off of those dishes, then she would start using them. Well, one day, her kids were playing hide and seek. And one of her kids hid behind the china cabinet and he got stuck and he panicked and when you panic sometimes you have more strength than you really normally would because the adrenaline starts rushing and in his panic he went (laughs) and he pushed and the china cabinet fell over all of those treasures broke into tiny little pieces and it's no good no good So I have some treasures, things that I like to collect. If you come to my house, you'll see blue glass. We like, I like blue glass because my, Miss Renee likes blue and pink are her favorite colors. And so we have pieces of blue glass all over our window frames. You can come and hold on just a second. And then we have also, I collect antique things. And if you look in my house, if you come into my house, you'll see above all the windows, you'll see shelves and all of these antique things. Some of the things are things that I've had since I was a little boy or things that Miss Renee has had since she was a little girl. Some things we bought, but they're just things that are special to us, that are important to us. They're treasures for us. There's one other kind of treasure thing that I like, and this is something I want to share with you. I collect frogs. Now, some of you guys know that, right? But frogs, the word frog, F-R-O-G, stands for fully rely on God. And whenever I see frogs, it reminds me to to, to rely on God. But these two frogs are very special to me. I'm going to pass them around and you can look at them and just pass them on to somebody else. 
Um, these frogs were given to me by two little kids that I absolutely love, and they're like my grandkids. They're not really my grandkids, but they're like my grandkids, and I love them very much, and they gave them to me for my birthday a couple years ago, and I keep them on my dresser in my, in my room because I want to see them absolutely every single day. And then there's another frog. Where is it? Oh, this is another frog. This one is fun. He has springy legs. And what's really cool with him, he's got magnets in his hands. So they stick together. So like he can stick on my shirt. If I can get him to do it, here, I'll do it this way. Well, maybe not. When I want to do it, it doesn't want to do it. There we go. So I can stick him to my, my clothes. But what I do in, in, my, in that room that I have, I have a, a hanger thingy and I, he hangs there. And so I like him. You can you can look at him. You guys can pass him around. That's my that's my springy frog. Saw that one. Oh, that one's the last one I'm gonna share in just a minute. This is another cool stay. This is another cool frog that I have. Somebody just gave me this one, and this one is made out of wood, and it's got a stick sticking through it. And you see this one? Watch this. This one I can go. Sounds like a frog. Isn't that cool? You guys can try that one if you want to try it. It comes out the other side. Don't put your finger on his mouth and then, then it'll make it a louder noise. Put it right here. Put your thumb right here. There you go. Now do it. See? that? Doesn't that sound like a frog? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Actually, it sounds better if you pull it towards you, doesn't it? Sounds more like a frog if you do it that way. Isn't that cool? So these are treasures that I have. But there's, I want to read to you. I'm going to show you this last one in just a second. But first I want to read to you what the Bible says about treasures. This is what it says. Jesus was talking to his friends and he said, Do not collect treasures for yourself on earth. Where moth and rust can destroy them. Where thieves can steal in, can break in and steal them. But store up treasures for yourselves in heaven because there moths can't get to it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal. And then he said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And he said sometimes when when we find things that are important to us, they sometimes can make us not think about God. Sometimes when people have things that are important to them, it's so important they won't even let God have it. And this is something I wanted to share with you out of this last frog. What is this frog? It's standing on a... It's a piggy bank. Yep, this is a piggy bank. I put coins in it and there's a little plug at the bottom. And I wanted to share with you something. Look at this. I've got all these different coins that I put in here. Because money can also be a treasure, right? It's got value. And you, oops, I dropped one. Did it, thank you. Come on. All of you come out. All of you come out. Okay, you're being disobedient. Okay, I got him. Uh-oh, I lost the plug part. Oh, there it is. Okay. So there's no more coins in my bank. I've got them in my hand because coins are valuable. But you know what? The Bible says to not hold on to things that are valuable. We can have them. It's okay to have them, but we shouldn't hold on to them like we don't want to ever get rid of them. We should honor God with everything in our life. So these coins that are valuable, these are just pennies, dimes, nickels, and quarters. What I want to do is see that box over there with the church on it? Yeah. That box is a special offering we're taking called the alabaster offering. And that every money that comes into that box at the offering, we give to the missionaries so that they can build houses or build schools or build hospitals or build churches. So I'm going to put these coins in there so that the missionaries can use this money instead of me keeping it in a piggy bank. And I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve coins. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I have two that I can put in. So everyone take one coin and pass the coin on to the other person. Pass all the coins. You keep one and pass all the others. Keep one.
and then keep one and pass all the others. You got a small one? You keep one and pass them on, keep one and pass them on, keep one and pass them on. And then pass all the rest on. And then you take one and pass all the rest on. And you take one and pass all the rest on. And pass all the rest on. You take one. You pass all the rest on. And then you pass the rest on. And you take one and pass the rest on. And that should be the end. And if you guys will help me, I would like to put this money into the alabaster offering. But before we do that, I want to pray. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Uh huh. My money was stuck in my piggy. Uh, bank. Like, <laughs> piggy banks like to keep the money in there. They don't like to let them come back out. Anyway, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to understand that it's okay to have treasures as long as they're not more important than you. Help us, God, to always honor you with everything, even our valuable stuff. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys, if you will, help me put this money. And then when you're done, you can go to your class. And look, I got up. Oh, I want my frogs back. Here, you can put them right here on the table. Cool. Thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll put him right here too. And I got to put my coins in the box. There you go. Thank you, thank you. See if I can get the rest of my stuff together here. I was afraid I wasn't going to get back up. Well, I mean, honestly, and I don't say this because I'm trying to seek any kind of uh, applause or congratulations or anything, but literally I have been successful in removing 30 pounds from my frame and I can, I can get up off the floor now where I couldn't six months ago. So praise God. Um, all right. We've been talking to the kids this morning about treasure. I, I'm in Matthew chapter six. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to pull out your Bible, we're going to be talking about Matthew chapter six. Um, now, excuse me, I am 63 years old. I'm old, not by some of your measures, but by others. Yeah. You look at me and go, Oh man. <laughs> but by some of you, you go, he's just a kid. It's all matter of perspective. But the reality for me, and this was something that I was thinking this week as I was reflecting on the fact that it has been. 55 years since my brother was born and 10 years since he died. Time goes so quickly. And I was thinking about this is the year 2022. And in 2025 will be my 50th anniversary of accepting Christ as my savior. 50 years of serving Jesus. And there's still things today that I feel like I'm a brand new baby Christian. Because... (laughs) I was still not got it right yet. And it's crazy because I, I, I want to beat myself up and there's no reason to beat myself up. I'm still a work in progress. I mean, I'm, if you, if you go back to, uh, Matthew chapter five, um, where we were last week, if you look at the last verse of Matthew chapter five, verse 48, it says, you therefore, now this is Jesus talking. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I can tell you when I was a young, young, young Christian, lo that almost half a century ago, when I heard those words, it was very distressing to me. I can't be perfect. But God isn't talking about perfection as in you never make a mistake or perfection as in no impurities. God is talking about having an, a, a being, being as, 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 as righteous and as holy as you possibly can be here. And then Jesus, as he finishes that, goes into this chapter 6 and chapter 7, into this long process of outlining how do you live perfectly? How do you live righteously? How do you live a holy life? 
And if you remember from last week, I brought in verses one through four into my sermon because it lent to what I was talking about last week. And I said off the hand, off the cuff, and we won't be coming back to it. <laughs> Wrong. Um, God really brought it to, to mind this morning. But the, the one thing that, that I want to focus on as we're starting this is the very first verse. Craig, would you bring up that next slide? Beware, this is Jesus talking again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. The very next verse says, when people are giving to the needy. And if you look in a King James version of the Bible, the term righteousness in chapter 6, verse 1, in the King James Bible, in the New King James Bible, it's talking about almsgiving, giving to the needy. But if you look in the Greek, the original Greek, bring the next slide up, Craig, please. That word righteousness in the Greek is dikaiosune, dikaiosune, dikaiosune. And what that means is, Righteousness, not almsgiving. And so scholars have come to understand that back in the 1600s, when they, when they made this righteousness, as, and as you've heard over and over and over again, you've heard me say over and over again, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses and divisions back when it was originally written. They just wrote and they kept writing. And they didn't say verse one. They just kept writing. So, Verse 1 of chapter 6 just was followed by verse 2 of chapter 6. But there was no necessary delineation or marking. So the scholars of chapter of 1600s said, well, he's talking about almsgiving right here. So that's what he's talking about, this righteousness. And what was their logic behind it? Well, I'll tell you. The Jewish culture, Jewish mindset, and we've talked about this in the past, is there's a word called sadaka. Some people say zedakah, but it's zedakah. And that word is righteousness, doing righteousness. And what does zedakah mean? It means doing things in a just manner, doing things as they, treating people as they deserve to be treated, which includes charity. But it also includes kindness. And it also includes, and it also includes. So, in the Jewish mindset, this idea of righteousness is not just giving to poor people. It's doing what is right, doing what is appropriate. It's kind of like Jesus's golden rule thing. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What is the second greatest commandment? The second greatest commandment is loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So that's this idea of dikaiosune. Righteousness. It's not just giving alms. So with that understanding in chapter one, I mean, excuse me, verse one of chapter six, we can then look at, there are three specific, bring up the next slide, please, Craig. There are three specific practices that Jesus outlines in this chapter about how to live righteously. The first one is almsgiving. That's an older word. It's not one that's really in, in use today as much as it was. But almsgiving literally means, or if you look at alms, alms means giving money to poor people. It means someone has a physical, a financial need, a physical need. Even it, You could even give them food, I guess, if necessary, but pro pro providing for their needs. So if someone is homeless, you give them a place to stay. If someone has has a, a need for a ride, because we live in China Hot Springs Road, and in the middle of the wintertime, we're at mile 20 out here, or 14, or what 10, or whatever the mile may be, and somebody's on the side of the road, it's not the same as being someplace else in the United States and picking up a hitchhiker. Because there's a need for them to get to town, or a need for them to come back from town, and there's no public transit. And so we... Two Riversites are good about picking somebody up along the side of the road without worrying about whether or not they're going to kill us. It's possible, but that's not what we're focusing. We're realizing there's a need and we're trying to meet that need. That would be almsgiving. Okay? 
So these three practices that are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, Jesus has some very specific things to say. Now, the other thing you need to understand, these three do not constitute a definitive list of what it means to live righteously. Okay? There's lots things to do with being righteous. But these are three things that Jesus specifically talked about because he was talking to a Jewish audience. And this was part of their normal practice. So when you read this, it says, let's, let's go ahead and read through it. Jesus speaking again, chapter six. This is the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. Beware of practicing your righteousness. We're going to read all through uh, verse 21. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, when you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this: Our Father who is in, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that last line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It wasn't originally in the original manuscripts. That's why it's not in the Bible here. It's in the it's in the notes down below. Some scribe wrote it in the side. So we can't say definitively that Jesus said that last line. But it makes sense. It still goes along with it. And so I pray it anyway. And then verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And then finally, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who sees in secret, excuse me, your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so let's look at this first one, almsgiving. Bring up that next slide, Craig, please. Matthew chapter six, verses two to four, almsgiving. In each of these cases, almsgiving, prayer and fasting, Jesus does a comparison. He says, this is how the hypocrites do it. And this is how I expect you to do it, okay? In each of these cases. And we're going to look at each one of these. Now, first of all, what is a hypocrite? Honestly, I had it in my head that Jesus had said Pharisee here. As I was doing my studies, I learned I was wrong. He wasn't talking about Pharisees. He wasn't talking about religious leaders. He was talking about hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Literally, if you go back to the Greek, what is the Greek word that Jesus says here? He says hypocrite. This is literally a, a, a like a transliteration. It's like if I said I'm going to go to um, uh, if I'm going to go to what, what, what's a good word? What's a good word? Um, aloha. If I said aloha, what does that mean? It means hello or goodbye. or goodbye. It also means giving love. But aloha is not a word that came from English. It's a word that came from a Polynesian place known that we call Hawaii. And we've incorporated it into our language. If I said to you, buenos dias, as somebody said this morning, you know pretty much what I'm saying because it's not an English word, but we've incorporated it into our language. Jesus used the term hypocrite. It was a Greek term. He didn't use the Greek term. He didn't speak Greek. He spoke Aramaic, but when it was translated into Greek, it was translated with the Greek term. And then we have subsequently taken that Greek term and turned it into our own language. I mean, make it part of our own language. So we understand what a hypocrite is. What is a hypocrite? A what? It's an actor. Someone who pretends. Okay? 
And it literally meant back then a person who wore a mask and portrayed a person or, or, or portrayed something on the stage. Okay, that they weren't. Okay, so a hypocrite is somebody, for example, who says, I hate, I hate. When in reality, they really love. They just don't want anybody to know that they love. You know, you get it? So Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite. Do it this way. Now let's look at verses two to four. Thus, when you give to the needy. Well, there's this when. I don't like the word when. Because that means there's an expectation that I am already doing it. You get me? He says, when you give to the needy. It's not a matter of if I choose to give. It's an expectation. When you give to the needy, when you do almsgiving, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, what is he talking about here? He is saying their motivation is wrong. They're trying to present themselves as holy and righteous people who love God and are serving God. And because of that, I'm giving alms to the poor. Come on, clap, 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 clap. Everyone applaud. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am a hypocrite. (laughs) See, they're getting their reward already. Jesus said, don't be like that when you give to the needy. Now, let me stop here. I didn't like this either, but I found out when I did my study that when Jesus is translating, when when Matthew was quoting Jesus here in the Greek, it was written out as when you all give to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites. But when he gives the specific instructions, when you, Roy, give to the needy, when you, Charlotte, give to the needy, that you in verse three and verse four is singular. The verse, the word you in Greek in the second verse is y'all. The one in three and four is you. So he's talking directly to the individual, not a group. There ain't no hiding here. So he says, when you give to the needy, there's an expectation that you are giving to the needy. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So if you want a heavenly reward, that means you don't ever file your charitable donations on your taxes. Because then you're getting your reward down here. Oh, Pastor Bob, you've gone to meddling. (laughs) Now, am I truly saying that? No, that's a joke. Ha ha. Maybe. Ha ha. I don't like those words. But, But the reality is, if you're thinking about how does Jesus want me to live? How do I live righteously? I don't want to follow a set of rules and and regulations. I don't want to have to do a list of do's and don'ts. But I do have to think about what I'm being told and how I should incorporate it into my life. So what? And if I, again, go back to the idea, am I doing this for applause or am I doing this to honor God? And if I'm doing it to honor God, then what do I need to worry about not getting as a result while I'm down here? But at the same time, I don't want to get all wrapped up into this. (sighs) You're making this really hard, Pastor Bob. Can't we just pray and go home? But did you see what it's like when you're trying to figure out how to live the way God wants you to live? Now, I would say to you that if God, who looks at the heart, sees your attitude, he's not going to worry about whether you file it on your taxes or not, whether he's going to hold back your blessing. But if your giving is motivated so that you can get reduced into the next tax bracket, then maybe Jesus doesn't need to worry about blessing you because you already got your blessing. But if you're doing it because you're trying to honor God, I'll give you, for example, which means I I lose my blessing because I'm telling you about it now, right? I was in a restaurant yesterday with my daughter and grandkids, my grandchildren, four of them. One of them is two years old who likes to make himself known by going, "Ah!" and 
There were three people behind the counter in this restaurant trying to serve about 40 people. And as they were doing an incredible job of serving us, and there was a drive through line going at the same time. So three people trying to serve all of us, and they were doing a wonderful job. I engaged one of the people in conversation. And, I, and she said to me, I'm so sorry, it's taking us so long. We are shorthanded. We've had some people not show up. I said, you take your time. You're good. But that told me she cares. She's trying her best. And they're under a lot of pressure. So I got to the pay part and I said it was going to be, I think my part was going to be like 14 or $15 for my breakfast because my daughter was paying for her kids and herself. So I then said, tip, custom, $20, enter. So I gave almost one and a half times what my actual bill was as a tip. Did I do that because I wanted to be all that a bag of chips and have people go, oh, look at him. He's so holy. He's so righteous. No, I wanted to bless them. They were working hard. I didn't want to give them 50 cents. I wanted to give them 20 bucks. And I would have given them more if I could have afforded it. But the intent was to bless them, to be kind to them, to show love to them. I was being Jesus to them. Now, do they know that? No. They didn't know who gave a $20 tip. They'll know when they do the reconciliation at the end of the shift. But I didn't need to be going, hey, by the way, I just put a $20 bill in your tip jar. Do you see the difference between the hypocrite's way and the Christian way? Now, can I still file a claim on my taxes? No, of course not. I didn't donate to a 501c3. I just gave money out of the blessing, out of the goodness of my heart to bless somebody. I'm not keeping record of that. I don't keep track of that so that I can go, well, look at me. I spent this much money last year on just blessing people. <laughs> but there are people who live that way. And there are people who go to church that morning and, and try to tell everybody how wonderful they are and glorious they are. And Jesus says, they're wearing a mask and they're a hypocrite and they're gonna, they've already got their blessings, so don't expect anything from God. I love these things. Now, remember I said I'm a 63-year-old work, I mean work in progress. Um, I was sitting after I left my daughter yesterday because I was babysitting the kids while she was doing things and because she had to get four, I mean, three kids haircuts. Oh, and so we sat in the car and I babysat and then we also had to, she had to go to the food, mar, food the farmer's market to get food. So grandpa took the boys over to Toy Quest. Not a good thing. <laughs> I gave him each 10 bucks. I thought 10 bucks would be sufficient. Here's a $10 bill. Here's a $10 bill. Here's a 10. You walk into Toy Quest, $10 buys you a, a package of gum. <laughs> what I thought would have been a really cool toy was $27.50. I'm like, oh my word. I am so out of touch with children. But anyway, so the bottom line is I was doing that. So after they were done and the haircuts were done and Marie Kelly was done with the farmer's market, I went, I'm done. I'm hungry because it's already now three o'clock in the afternoon. So I went to Arby's because I like Arby's and I got through the drive through and normally, normally when I pull through Arby's, I go straight to that parking space that, that's like perfectly aligned with the edge, with the end of the drive through. And I sit there and I eat, but the shadows were different at this time of day because there's trees around their property. So I actually went around and I pulled in, so it's as if I had made a right-hand turn into a parking space that was nicely shaded, but it, I had to make an adjustment to get there. But anyway, I was sitting there on the far parking lot under the trees as you came out of the driveway, drive-through. And there was a, a empty space and then there was a van, some mechanical shop, something or other van. And I'm just sitting there eating my food. Well, line of sight, I can see the panhandler sitting there at the little divided section, right at the light, right outside of the Walmart Lowe's parking area, right? I'm sitting there eating, and Panhandle is there panhandling, and I'm eating, and Panhandler gets up, and I'm eating, and I can see the Panhandler walking this way, and I'm eating, and they walk over to the van, and I'm like, oh, crud. I just told the church last Sunday how holy I was. <laughs> Because I gave money to a panhandler. 
And I just went to the bank because Renee asked me to get cash. I normally don't carry cash. That's my normal excuse. Oh, God, I don't want to. And I'm looking and I'm, they're standing there at the window talking to the guy at the van. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I, I know what I'm going to do. And I rolled up the window. <laughs> and then I tried to eat my sandwich. I still didn't work. I couldn't get it. So I was like, you know what? Start the vehicle. Back it up. Pull out and drive away. So I was driving away. And as I was driving away, I happened to look over at the guy who was panhandling. Wanted to go, ha, you didn't get me. And I realized when I looked at him, instead of just out of the corner of my eye, he was engaged in friendly conversation with probably a friend of his who was driving that van. He was not panhandling. And I could have sat there quietly and eaten my lunch without worry about being tapped for another dollar. And then the Holy Spirit said, hmm, what's this, Bob? And we had to talk. Now, I'm not going to tell you about that conversation. It's none of your business. <laughs> But I was preparing for this sermon and Jesus said, hypocrites act this way and Christians act this way. And mm, I don't even think you were close to the line, boy. And I had to confess that was sin. I have an issue with panhandlers. Now, is that a problem? Yes. How do I deal with it? I haven't a clue other than to continue to say, Jesus, help me to act appropriately when I'm confronted in those situations. Help me to always love you. I literally said to God, so am I supposed to keep a $20 bill in my visor at all times now? And he's like, don't be stupid. Just do what's right when you're in the moment. Okay. But I'm 63. I've known Jesus for almost 50 years. And I'm still dealing with this garbage. Okay, let's move on to uh, the next one, praying. I got this one down a little bit better. <laughs> I'm not going to take the time to read through each, each step because we've already read it through, but there are three things I want you to focus on when you're looking at prayer. First of all, bring up the next slide, please, Craig. Matthew 6, chapters, uh, five, verses 5 through 15. First of all, Jesus says, pray in private. Now, does that mean I'm not allowed to pray publicly? No. Does that mean I'm not supposed to pray when I'm asked to lead an invocation at a public event? No. Does that mean I'm not supposed to pray corporately in church? No. But when I want to talk with God, just me and him, to pour out my heart, I shouldn't be dealing with anything other than the fact that I want to pour out my heart to him. That's being genuine. So I need to go to the place that is the most private space that I have available to me to pray to God. There are some people, if you've ever seen the movie, there's a, some people that use the term war room. It's a chance of you to get into the, into a quiet space with God and to pour out your heart and to, to just be real and genuine and to, to make plans with the Holy Spirit how God wants you to live your life. Literally, I was reading one of my uh, commentaries and it said John Wesley had such a room in his own place. And it is said to this day. Now, this was 1964 when this book was written. It was said to this day, people still walk through that building in tours of John Wesley's home. And there's a sense of the holy in that space. And I thought, you know, God, I want to learn to pray that way because I do pray. I mean, I pray regularly and I do get in my closet with God and it is, but I'm always worried about letting go for fear someone would hear me. And I don't know how to say that other than that way there. I live in a home with right now. I got four grandchildren plus my daughter, plus my wife, plus my grand, my, 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 my son-in-law. And, um, there's not a lot of privacy. So I struggle with this idea of getting into a prayer closet. So what I do is I at least put in earbuds so that I can't hear them. And then I just focus. And like, that's what I had to do this weekend, yesterday and today to, to prepare for this. I just had to get into a zone. I wasn't in a physically private space, but I at least alienated, not alienated. I at least bubbled myself. For those of you who used to watch the television, get smart television show. I, it was called a cone of silence. I got myself into the bubble. But that's what I think I hear Jesus saying here is if you want to do it right, get alone with God. Don't worry about other people hearing you and you having to say the right words and you having to speak eloquently. Just get in the closet with God and pour out your heart. 
He hears what you have to say without worries about being correct. If you stumble, it's okay. Just be real with him. Number two, Jesus says, don't heap up empty words. In some places, you'll, he- you'll read no vain repetitions. Now, let me tell you something. I brought a little show and tell for you today. Pastor Bob, former... I, I, I got corrected this week. It is not former Roman Catholic. I am a non-practicing Roman Catholic. Because once you're baptized a Roman Catholic, you can never stop being a Roman Catholic, I, so I've been told. So I am a non-practicing Roman Catholic. However, when I have my private prayer time with God, I have a rosary that I pray with. Now, you will notice on this rosary, there is no image of any human being, male or female, you will notice on the cross, no one's hanging from it. I was very intentional in this particular piece. And I pray the Apostles' Creed. I pray the Lord's Prayer, which is the Our Father. And here in a Roman Catholic practice, I would be praying to some woman, but I'm not. I pray the Jesus Prayer, which is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have helped, I mean, Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then this is called the lesser doxology. Uh, uh, I can't say it now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, um, and then the, these are the Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Jesus prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Jesus prayer. There's five. They're called decades. And then finally you come down to the end again. And now then, then I pray the Nicene prayer, Nicene creed. And then finally I pray the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, which is Lord uh, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith, and so on. This is not me praying to God, being genuine and pouring out my heart. This is centering myself before the Father. This is me trying to avoid any further distraction. This is, it's called centering prayer. It's called, I'm getting myself in the zone, if you will. Now, the challenge comes, I can very easily go, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's not prayer. That's vain, repetitious, heaping up empty words. But if as I'm preparing my heart before God, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I recognize that you're seated on the throne of God. You are on the right hand. You are my intercessor, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Have mercy on me. Do you see the difference? There's nothing wrong with having a tool that helps you to pray. The point is being real and genuine and sincere and honest. And then the last thing that Jesus said after he gave them the model of how you should pray. He says, and you better be willing to put feet to your words. Because if you're saying to me, please forgive me. And you're not willing to forgive somebody else. Don't expect forgiveness. And this, I would submit that even though he didn't say it here, you can probably apply a lot of other things too. If you want my love and you're not willing to love, then don't come to me asking for love. If you want help with your finances, but you're not willing to help the person who's carrying the cardboard sign, maybe you can just hold on to your treasure yourself and I'm not going to worry about blessing you because psh, you're trusting in your money more than you're trusting in me because can't I, as Elsie said to us at the beginning of this service, which was not coordinated, by the way, store up for myself treasures in heaven, not on earth. Therefore, I should use the money that's in my hands to bless anyone that God puts before me, not worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own worries and I can trust God to provide for my food and my clothing and my housing and my car repairs. Isn't that interesting? And then the last one, fasting. Bring up the next slide, Craig, please. 
We can just skip over this. It's only three verses. But look at again. What does Jesus say? When you pray. Excuse me. When you give alms. When you pray. When you fast. Now, I'm not asking for anyone to raise your hand. But when was the last time you fasted? Because remember, I told you, when Jesus, when Matthew recorded this, he literally used the singular you when he said this. When you fast. When was the last time you fasted? I can tell you the last time I fasted was probably about 10 years ago. And the reason for that was because I've had some changes to my health and I've had some medicine that I have to take and I can't just do a fast. And I've struggled with that because I'm like, God, you never said anything about if you're taking medication. Well, back then they didn't have this kind of medicine. And I'm like, God. But the reality is, if you think about it, what is fasting? Fasting is depriving yourself for a purpose. Now, I just shared with you guys that over the last six months, I have taken off 30 pounds. How did I do it? I chose not to have a bowl of ice cream every night. I chose to limit the amount of bread that I was eating. I chose lower fat foods as opposed to higher fat foods. I chose foods that had less sugar in them. I was fasting for a purpose. So if I want to fast in a way that pleases God, then I need to give up something, deprive myself of something with the intent of seeking God. The question then comes, can I influence God with my fasting? I don't know. I can tell you Daniel tried. I can tell you that others did. David did. Remember the story of David and the baby that he had with Bathsheba and the baby was pronounced that it was going to die and David got in his face before God and he fasted for how many days? And then when the baby finally died, then he washed his face and got dressed and went and worshipped. And they said, what were you doing? And he said, I thought to myself, while the baby was sick, it was my fault that he was in this situation. If I fasted before God, maybe God would relent. So I see in the scriptures, at least people of God, thinking that if I fast before God, that maybe I can change God's heart or mind or God would, would do something all other than what was already spoken. So I would say that we Christians can fast with the intent of honoring God, pleasing God, and maybe even seeking something from God. So let's wrap this all up. Okay, kids are back, teens are back. This is the thing, bring, bring the next slide up. This is the thing that brought me to this whole point. Matthew 6, 4, Matthew 6, 6, Matthew 6, 18. Exactly the same format. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you are giving your alms, doing it so that neither the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, your father who sees in secret is going to reward you. When you are praying in your prayer closet without trying to get grant, you know, attention from anybody else, the father who sees you in secret will you, will reward you. When you fast, your father who sees in secret will reward you. These are literally exactly the same phrase. In all three verses. What reward? What am I seeking after? When I'm giving alms. To please God. What am I seeking after? When I'm praying reality. With, with snot running down my face. And not worrying about anybody else. And what they see. What am I seeking after? When I'm fasting. Because these are not if you fast, if you pray, if you give, when you fast, when you pray, when you give. What reward who am I expecting from God? Two things I would say. Number one, bring up the first slide, please. Matthew chapter five, verse 16 says, Jesus didn't say that one, excuse me, let your light so shine before others so that they can see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Those were Jesus's words just a chapter ahead of this passage that we're looking at right now. Do you, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and you as a light are to shine before others so that when they see the good things that you're doing, you are to, they will give glory to your father who is in heaven. So what does that mean? That means 
I should take a $20 bill and drop it in the bowl at the restaurant and do it pronouncedly. Not so that I'm getting any glory, but so I can look them in the eye and say, God bless you. May Jesus bless you today. Now, it's a hard line to walk because you're trying not to bring it to yourself. But at the same time, if nobody knows you're doing it, how can they see the good works that you're doing and glorify your Father who's in heaven? So you have to decide for yourself, what's the appropriate time? What's the appropriate motive? What's the appropriate means? But the goal has to be, don't be so secret in your Christianity that nobody even knows you're a Christian. The other thing is the next verse, chapter five, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. Jesus said an, uh, in, a, in a, um, a parable, he said, a master left and he gave to one servant 10 talents and to another servant five talents and another servant one talent, each according to their ability. That's a key phrase right there, each according to their ability. And when he came back from his trip, he demanded an accounting of each of his guys. And the first two produced extra, the third one didn't. And the first two heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I would submit to you. Go ahead and bring the last slide up. I would submit to you that the reward you're seeking is the pleasure of your father. The reward you're seeking is the, the, the advancement of the kingdom of God. The reward you're seeking, I hate this, but people still use it, is jewels in a crown that you can lay at his feet when the time comes. It's out of Corinthians. You'll have to look it up some other place. And I'll close with all of this with one thing, because we, we heard at the very beginning of our service, our worship leader talked about the times that we're living in and what was on television all week long. Well, one of the things that I read in all of this was that Queen Elizabeth, who is laying in state right now and her burial is going to happen in a few hours. Queen Elizabeth is quoted by her pastor as having said, I truly wish Jesus would come back in my lifetime so that I could lay my crown at his feet. That's the attitude, that's the heart. Where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. Let's pray. Jesus, some of these words I don't like because they make me ouch. And some of these words I align perfectly with and it makes me feel good. Father, I pray that you would never, ever, ever remove the pressure to do the ouch stuff. Help me, God, to be the best, righteous, holy man that I can be for your glory, for your honor, for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.